Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. It's just me and Kaz for the intro today. Kaz, last time you and I recorded a podcast in person, it didn't go exactly as planned in terms of reception. So we'll keep it on the straight and narrow today, hey? Mm, no, we'll try. <laughs> so um, a lot's gone on in terms of our little review land this week. First up, I want to talk to you about why every mountain biker out there should absolutely go for titanium cranks, especially on an e-bike where weight is already such a concern. Yeah, it's very important. You should all buy $1,300 titanium cranks, especially ones that are 3D printed. Um, they, I mean, they are beautiful. They are, but actually, I, as I was looking closer at them, I didn't realize they were on the bike for a while. So people, well, I guess we should tell people what we're talking Please, about. Yeah. So these are Ken Creek's Electric Wings titanium e-bike cranks. They're 3D printed, made in the USA, and they cost $1,300. And for $1,300, I assume that includes the axle linking the two together. Well, no, because that goes with the motor. <laughs> so you just have two crank arms. They're just crank arms, basically. Really expensive crank arms, which they worked great because most cranks do. I can't think of the last time I had any cranks fail on me, which is nice. Mm. But And they look really good from a distance. But when you look close, the way the additive manufacturing kind of makes them end up, they have these little pock marks in them. Oh, okay. Yeah, which isn't like... I kind of wanted them to be more like jewelry and really smooth and fancy looking. So I've had some e-wings before which are actually now on we have stefan who's like the junior videographer and needed some new cranks and i said i've got a treat for you he didn't understand what they were mm. took them to the local bike shop and they were like Whoa? <laughs> but, but they had some really beautiful small welds in yeah so these this, have it, no welds this have no, yeah, just no welds. yeah so it's basically they use lasers and they melt a pile of basically titanium powder into the form which is wow. pretty cool technology yeah. but the price i i just don't really but with i guess it's similar technology then to what the um athletes are doing Mm-hmm. In terms of their, why aren't those, why aren't they polished the titanium bits? It would look so cool. Yeah, I think that it just, it's got to be something to do with the powder and how the, mm. how it comes up. Like the way, it like almost like a grain structure because the way the lasers are doing it compared to if you have like a machined yeah. piece of aluminum. So yeah, they look cool. I like how they look from a distance up close. Maybe not as cool, but you have to look pretty close to be fair. Mm. Um, and the price for me would be a deal breaker. But for somebody that's already, they've got their Rivian, they want to put their fancy e-bike on the back, like money is different for everybody. Yes, for me, this so is true. too much money, but for somebody, it'll be great. Um, you are supporting King Creek. They are made in USA, which is cool. So. I, I've kind of got a soft spot for King Creek. Oh, I yeah. think they had that inline shock probably 2015, which did them, sadly, they came on those Enduros. I think it did a lot of them, did them, sadly, a great deal of reputational damage. But that was, I think that was all more about going into sort of bed as an OE partner on a huge scale. Yeah. They make some such great products and I... I love how they're always slightly doing things quite different, but lots of them in a really sensible way. Yep, definitely. They still kind of feel like they have that small company feel. Like it almost reminds me of in the 90s, you'd have people making, I mean, it kind of makes sense too, because their E-Wings cranks, the welded titanium ones are based on the original Sweet Wings cranks, which were big in the 90s. Like that was mm-hmm. the boutique part. So they kind of like have that little small company feel still while making a big range of products. So these exist and they're not really for me, but somebody might enjoy them. I don't know if it's part of getting older, but I've really started to appreciate nice headsets. Yeah, in, in, in later age, mm-hmm. <laughs> and was, I would just get the cheapest one when I started riding. It didn't make any difference to me. And now I'm like, you know, your Cane Creeks, your yeah, hopes, you're up to the hundred level now. It's very yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to leave that be for uh-huh. a while. It's a really nice yeah. thing. Um, also, this week we had my stack video, which yes. it's kind of it's it's in some ways it's perfectly timed because in it I talk a lot about chain stay length. Seb Stott did that article where he says it's not so important to have relative chain stay length. There could be an argument that these two was it was part of some outrage plan, but I think it's really important to understand how slowly I work. I've been talking about this for six months. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it just yeah. me a long time to get around to it. And, and we're not that organized to have like like coordinated rage bait <laughs> planning. I was I, that term I didn't really I've heard it before, but it kind of like it stuck with me. Someone in the comments said it was a rage bait plan. I was like, no, not really. We're trying to make interesting things, and mm. I think what you kind of stumble upon is interesting that bikes 
the next generation of bikes could definitely have a taller front end, possibly longer chain stays. And then maybe I don't quite agree with you on the steeper head angle mm. to a certain extent, but I think there is probably a limit that we're probably getting close to. I, I, do, I think it's so fun. I think it's such a relative turn steeper, right? Yeah. You know, um, I think that'd be steeper than, than potentially 63. I think, yeah, I reckon like the Spire is a great example because it goes down to 62.5. Right. I think we'll see bikes be more like 63.5, 64. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing bikes come with really high stacks now. I mean, look at that raw that I believe you're yeah. testing at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think the head tube length on that is 130 millimeters, which gives a really tall front end, which, yeah, I'm a fan of the way that that feels, especially for descending where your feet kind of like a lot of distance between your feet and your hands. It's almost like a more stood up position, which can be really cool. Mm. And then, and you've been experimenting with the, was it the BMB stem yep. and that's the kind of, we're gonna have more on that in the future, but that's kind of takes things to the next, I don't even, multiple levels. Of, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's very different. I'm super excited. I think the video is going to come out a week today that this podcast goes out. We see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So Thursday. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I think that it's, it's one of those things. I think that one of the things I love about the bike industry is the passionate people in it mm -hmm. and you you couldn't you couldn't fault and there, there's definitely not a passion behind this product people are very interested it seems to have seems to have seized something almost like a bit of a zeitgeist you saw it floating around that it was super fun to test um yeah i think that without going too much into it and you know the video will be there for that but i wonder if there'd be a way to maximize that concept of the reverse rise stem with really 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 long rear ends put a 500 rear end on it and see what happens yeah yeah i want to try this stuff i mean I, like i you're, I think you're going, I don't know, like, I don't think there's one solution for everybody. Like mm. though, as far as the geometry goes, I think, yes. cause I've had great time on bikes with short chain stays and deep head angles, slack hang, all the things. But I do think right now as bikes have evolved, this could be the next step where the, mm. you know, Deb's thing said that chain stay, he was saying the chain stay lengths that would have to result to make it actually proportional were pretty wild. Like the, the length of them would be, I don't know, like 480 chain stays or yeah. 490, but I would like to try a bike like that, like the matched. Years ago, I remember riding a bike that had longer chain stays than Reach, but that's when Reach was short. So it'd be interesting to try like a 470, 470 bike. Well, that's what I think is also too important to remember when people talk about, I talked about in that Candel Habit review, and people might look back at say the 430 rear end of their 2015 process or whatever, mm -hmm. but that bike's Reach was 450 for a large. So actually, if we kind of scale them both up, yeah, going to these long rear ends can actually still give you the similar fall after balance. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... If anyone from Orange is listening, please answer my emails. I desperately yeah, want to test one of those. I want that one to come in. It looks cool. It looks cool. Yeah. It's just perfect for me. Yeah. It'd be so much fun. Um, yeah, so if you're listening, which I doubt you are, but if you are, please, I'm desperate to test one. Yes. This is please, Orange, something I talk bike. about all the time. Kaz is sick to the back teeth of hearing about it. I want it. I want it to come in. And, yeah, I want to ride it too. So <laughs> yeah. maybe that'll work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, um, talking of long rear ends, uh, Alicia is... You don't That's know where I'm going with this. I'm coming into it. I'm right, coming into right. it. This is a ride. It's going to come good. Uh, we're going into a podcast this week that Alicia did with Ben Casso. He has had basically a special dropouts made for the Santa Cruz, which basically, I think it was a hand, hand me down from Greg Minar, mm -hmm. but that bike doesn't have swappable dropouts. You have to make the right. rear carbon rear end to have it. And I think he had, I think he's like 470 rear end. Yeah. Yeah. I think pretty so, big. That's right. Yeah. And then I think since then, Menard's gone to shorter ones, mm. but. Well, Ben's frustration was always, you know, Greg would always be like, oh, it's called cool, cool, this adjustment. He was like, they'll make it for you, whatever you want. Right. <laughs> Just make it big because I need it even bigger still. Yeah. Um, and it's gonna be crazy seeing uh, Menard potentially on an Orco. Yeah. If that's true. Yeah. We'd be curious to what the geometry of that bike is. And how it 
yeah, after all his tinkering, he's been tinkering for so many years. I guess puzzling is the term he uses, but the puzzling he's been using with Santa Cruz to see how that translates to Norco. That whole thing is going to be interesting. I've heard Norco have something of like a Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of testing facility in terms of 4F balance, that mm. rider line. Yeah. Of all the bullshit that floats around the industry, I think that rider line is actually, mm. it manages to encapsulate something really important. Yeah. And they've done some pretty crazy prototypes in the past we've seen. I mean, lots of companies do, but Norco, I feel like they've done, they've had bikes that have uh, really just all the adjustability you could ever want. So it'd be interesting to see what comes from it. Right. Well, without further ado, here is Alicia Leggett and Ben Cathro talking about his season at Pink Bike Racing. So I'm here on the podcast with Ben Cathro today. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? What are you up to today? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, well, it's late evening here in Scotland. Uh, so the kids have just been put to bed. over they working in the home office and it's been pretty dark, wet and gloomy. So uh, yeah, it's been quite a mellow day. Dark, wet and gloomy is kind of standard for you guys over there, isn't it? Definitely at this time of year, <laughs> for sure. Like it gets dark like before 4 p.m. Um, it's kind of grim. So like you get up in the morning and it's dark, <laughs> go to work or take the kids to nursery and then you pick them up. It's dark and the kids are so confused because they're like, uh, why is it nighttime? It's not bedtime. And it's like, no, it's not bedtime. It's not for a few hours yet. <laughs> so yeah, I can remember, I can remember being a kid and it being terrible, like going to school and it's dark and coming home dark but we get really long summers so that is the or we get a lot of light in the summers it's like still light mm-hmm. to like 11 p.m so that's the trade-off yeah trade-off some good some bad like you probably sleep less when you have that much daylight too which is you know okay but hopefully you don't run yourself into the ground i can sleep with the lights on it doesn't not oh, nice. me at all nice yeah. Um, and you're back on the bike too. Um, you've been back on the bike for a few months, right? After getting injured this spring. How's that been going? Yeah. Um, it was from, oh, when, when did I get back on the bike? I know the race, but I can't actually remember what month it was in. It was in at the race in, uh, Lenzer, not Lenzer, yeah. in, uh, Ludenville in France. Uh, mm-hmm. is that late that August, like August, September, August, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that was cool. Because uh, it was three months off the bike, which wow. I think is the longest um, kind of injury forced kind of time off the bike that I've had. Um, like in injury wise, it, it wasn't that bad. Like uh, hearing uh, you've broken your back when you go to a hospital is always quite severe. So, mm-hmm. but luckily it was just like a, one of the vertebrae just got like squished a little bit so there was like some hairline fractures in it but it was stable and it wasn't even that sore like the next day we were out filming after i broke my back and it was like "Eh, it's kind of all right but i just wasn't allowed to ride my bike for three months which was i had to be really strict with myself because i could very easily (laughs) have gone out on my bike because i was (laughs) like cutting about the house just doing normal things and uh yeah that was hard to stay away from it because if i had landed on it again it might not have been a nice ending yeah seriously and then you broke your back a while ago too in 2020 right how was it to have another spinal injury yeah 
I know. It sounds so bad, doesn't it? Like when uh, <laughs> I think your average person hears that. But it's actually mm-hmm. it's actually quite common to have minor It sounds like you've gotten really lucky both times. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's and it turns out I've actually broken my back three times. I just didn't know about the third time. <laughs> oh wow. What happened the third uh, time? It's, well the fir- the first time was when I was a kid, I think. But we we only found that fracture um this year when they they x-rayed me for the one the crash i had this year and they were like oh yeah yeah you fractured your back here and uh i was like what the heck is that and like looked at another vertebrae which had a huge chunk out of it and i'm like oh that's a very old break did you not know about this that's (laughs) amazing (laughs) yeah well it it is but it also isn't like um because i do have lower back problems where the old fracture is I was like, oh, mm-hmm. it would have been good to know that. So I guess I hurt my back when I was a kid and just kind of didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> and Gnarly. now in my uh, older age, it is a bit of a, a bit of a nuisance. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so three three breaks of the spine, and uh, luckily it's all still in one piece. Yeah, I'm glad you're still up and walking and all of that. So you're the leader of Pink Bike Racing, mm-hmm. how did that happen to be in charge of that? Like, what were you doing before and how did the idea come up? And yeah, how did you follow through with it? So uh, I was kind of making World Cup videos just out of kind of interest. And it was something I was doing and uh, I had a lot of fans kind of uh, who were enjoying me making videos mm-hmm. of the World Cups. And then Brian Park at Pink Bike was like, oh, you need to start making them for us because we'd actually pay you instead of you just doing it for not like I was doing it for free at the start. <laughs> and then I had some, uh, like you might've heard of Patreon. I had some like real good, mm-hmm. uh, fans who contributed and donated to help me do it. He was like, Oh, pink bike could actually pay you. I was like, interesting. <laughs> you know, give that a try. And then I kind of got into working, working for pink bike just as a contractor. And then in 2021, I uh, actually became a kind of salaried employee with Pink Bike because I had some kids in the way and we're talking about having a bit of financial stability, <laughs> responsibility. So you should probably get a salary. <laughs> and uh, as part of that, we were just talking about different video projects that we could do. And uh, I tried to make a video series in 2020 of me racing at World Cups. And uh, it was it was that was the year that I had my other uh, spinal fracture, and we discovered mm-hmm. that banking a big project on one one racer is a bit of a risk. Sure. <laughs> Especially me, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like all, all race teams have lots of riders to kind of spread the risk because you know someone's going to have a mechanical or have an injury. So mm-hmm. the idea was then floated that uh, racing World Cups is definitely a cool thing uh, as a video project, but it would be better to do it as a team. So the hunt for riders and staff and all that began in, uh, I think it was, hang on, let me think, so 2020. So it was 2021 was the year I tried to race and broke my neck. And then that off season, we began searching for riders to start a team to race in 2022. 
How did your video side of things change when you started working with Pink Bag Racing? Um, so in terms of the videos that we were making, uh, it didn't really change in terms of the output. We were still doing uh, the World Cup videos. I was still doing the How to Bike uh, skills series for Pink Bike. It just ended up that we just had to compress everything into less time. So mm-hmm. it got busier and it got... Uh, it got hectic at times, for sure. Um, I found it really challenging to still do everything to quite a high level, like the running the team, the riding my bike, or racing my bike, and making all the videos. So, uh, uh, yeah, things just got busy. They got busy fast. It sounds like there's so much to keep track of. How do you balance all of it? Because you're, you're riding and mentoring and managing logistics. That's a lot. Yes, uh, definitely was a lot. And I got really lucky either through kind of finding the right people or uh, like just the right people just happening to kind of like fall into my lap when uh, I was like searching for people to work with. And pretty much everyone uh, when it came to like uh, the production uh, people, like the people making the videos, all the people we had in the team, uh, even had my wife helping out with some of the organization and I just had to kind of lean on everyone else to kind of help make everything happen. Cause mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was, it was too much for one person to really keep a track of everything and keep on top of everything. Uh, but yeah, I had a really good group of people that could pick up the slack when, uh, I dropped the many balls I was trying to juggle. That's great that it worked out that way. And it sounds like I've heard you talk a little bit about how these past couple seasons made you start wondering if you might have ADHD or just like some stuff going on with your brain that makes it harder to organize and keep track of all this. Hmm. How did that play out? Well, I think my whole life I've been really lucky in that I didn't have a load of responsibility, like in terms of like school and uh, coming out of school and going into racing. I was really lucky that my family were really supportive. So I could work pretty casual jobs in the off season and they would help support me during race seasons. And I didn't have, I don't know, like a lot of things that really caused me to be overloaded, if that makes sense. So I, I, mm-hmm. I'd always struggled in school and life of just being organized and remembering things and just doing the kind of I don't know the things that other people seem to find really easy I would wonder how they would be able to keep track of things and remember dates and uh, kind of motivate themselves and stuff like that like in school I would always be the weird kid in the bus doing their homework on the way to school because I'd just put it off put it off put it off and suddenly oh god I need to do it now and then I would frantically try and do it on the bus on the way to school but I didn't really see anyone else doing that so I always knew I was a little bit different in that kind of way but I always managed to complete everything because I was never overloaded I would always manage to meet the deadline or uh, get things done like my parents would give me chores and I'd have all day at home to do them and about 10 minutes before they came home from work I'd just frantically get everything done and it seemed like I was just fine like able to complete everything and then uh, I guess with my racing and stuff I yeah, I was given a lot of flexibility to kind of just 
take my time and I was able to kind of uh, do pretty good with that. And uh, if I was late doing things or completing my training, there was no one to really tell me off or get me in trouble or anything like that. So um, I just kind of floated along, made it, made it happen. And then when I, I guess what was the first big responsibility was really like doing the World Cup stuff and uh, making the videos for Pink Bike or even making the videos for my own YouTube channel before then, I found that really quite easy to do because it was exciting and it was like new and it was like intense. I find the more intense something is, I can like, I can just get hyper-focused on things and just like, like just spend ridiculous amounts of time doing something that I think a lot of people would just get burnt out. And uh, that was really cool. Like I actually really enjoyed that having like things I could like hyper focus into and like smash out the videos and be up for like 18 hours straight. And it's just like Mm -hmm. (laughs) ridiculous. It just seems so lucky that you managed to find something that you could pour yourself into like that and like something that could be that captivating, like with both biking and video making. That's like, that's so cool that you managed to find that. Mm-hmm. I, I, and that's actually something I've talked about uh, recently with my wife, that I was so lucky that I found something I could be passionate about. Because that's like mm-hmm. the um, one of the traits of ADHD is that the, you can only focus on things that excite you and you feel passion mm-hmm. for. So someone with ADHD in like a normal office job or something like that, it's, it's so hard, so hard to motivate yourself. So yeah really lucky that I was given the space to find a sport that I was passionate about and given the time to turn that into uh, a career like mm-hmm. so lucky like if I if I hadn't been given that space I kind of don't know where I would be right now because like my life is is good like I'm very happy with the job I have the family I have and everything which might not have happened if I didn't find biking pretty much so yeah, it's uh, um, where was I? So yeah, uh, with the World Cup stuff and kind of re- realizing the symptoms that didn't really happen until uh, the team started and I had kids, and suddenly mm-hmm. I didn't have the spare time to like pick up the slack, if that makes sense. And what would happen is like one of the, my, the main symptoms really that I have is chronic procrastination. Like I would put things off. So like someone would send me a text and I'd be like, oh, I'd get to that later. Or I'd get an email and I'd be like, oh, I'll just reply to that later. And then I've got to complete a task. Like I had to pack the van or something like that, go into a World Cup. And I was like, oh, I'll get to that in a bit. And suddenly just everything piles up. And the pile gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the other thing I get is this like anxiety of as tasks get bigger and bigger and bigger. I get, it's just like a permanent state of being anxious about all these things I've put off. Mm-hmm. And the bigger they get, the more anxious I get. And I just get into a feedback loop. And I've like realized this happening over the last two years. And then I would think back to when I was younger and I'd noticed this was happening, but kind of in waves, but I never got the consequences because I didn't have as many responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I, 
found in the last few years like things would get so big that I would end up putting myself in a hole of just being so anxious that I think my brain would make me forget about the things I had to do just to get clear the anxiety off of my brain <laughs> and then I would just forget to do loads of things which is mm -hmm. like another classic thing with ADHD and uh yeah so all these symptoms were happening i was like this is weird is it just because i'm too busy is it because i have too many responsibilities and I, I do think that's a factor but we just noticed all these symptoms that were lining up with a lot of things you see online about uh people with adhd and the things they struggle with mm -hmm. um so it's just always forgetting things like i think one of the good examples is uh uh, it was last year. I think it was one of the things that really cemented it in our family that I think I have a problem <laughs> was <laughs> um, we had a young baby and uh, my wife had her and uh, she was sick kind of all over my wife, which is a standard thing, sick all over mm -hmm. the floor. Um, but I think, I think she was a bit unwell. She'd been sick a few times. So my wife was quite concerned that maybe she had a bug or something, a new baby. And uh, she was like, looked at me to help her. And I was kind of stood there. And I was in the middle of another job and I get um, kind of decision paralysis sometimes. Like if I'm, in the, if I'm in the middle of something, I can't decide what thing to do first. And I was just mm -hmm. kind of staring at her and she's like, what are you doing? Can you help? I was like, um, help, but I'm just doing, um, and she's like, just get a towel and clean this up <laughs> or get some cleaning stuff and clean this up on the floor. I was like, oh, okay, okay. And I went to the bathroom or the, the cupboard with all the cleaning stuff to get some cleaning stuff. I was looking for carpet cleaner. I was like, where is this carpet cleaner? Can't find it. It's like, this cupboard's a mess. And then I spent the next 45 minutes cleaning the cupboard. <laughs> and then my wife came back, saw the floor was still covered in sick. And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm cleaning the cupboard because I can't find the stuff I need. And she's like, there's sick all over the floor. Just clean it up. And I was like, yeah, that that's probably not normal. Um, so like being able to direct my focus is another mm -hmm. big thing. So like there'll be a task I really, really want to do. Like I'm passionate about it. I'm like, right, this is cool. Like a video project I'm working on, like, I'm going to do this. And it's like the thing I need to do is like a, a magnet and I'm the reverse polarity of it, if that makes sense. Like I'm yeah. trying to do it and it'll just push me off into something else. And I'll uh -huh. be like, okay, I need to do this. I need, I need to, <laughs> you know what? I need to hang up that washing. And I'll go and hang up the washing or something else. And then just completely mm -hmm. forget about this really important project I need to do. And I'll be literally like tearing my hair out, trying to make myself do the things that I need to do. I just feel like it's, I can't. Yeah. And yeah, it's it been really, so really crazy. frustrating. It seems so hard to try to manage those things, like the random thoughts that come into your head, because like there's no way to control that ever. Mm. But I'm really glad you're getting kind of more insight into it. Yeah, it's it's actually I I feel conflicted in certain ways because um finding out that like I I had the, I went to uh, a place that specialises in ADHD, went through the kind of testing process, and they said yes, you do mm -hmm. have it, and then I was like right okay, that's good. And I kind of felt relieved. I was like, oh, good, it mm -hmm. is something. Um, yeah. But then I also feel like there are there are people that have this but can manage it. And it's like I felt guilty almost blaming it on something when I feel like there are ways you can not let it affect you. And it's like I don't, I don't want to just 
blame a condition when it's it's something that's so intangible as well it's like you can't see it and a lot of the symptoms are just the same things that everyday people just feel all the time it's like oh yeah sure. i forget my keys and oh yeah you I, might do it more often. i don't want to do some tasks as well mm-hmm. yeah and it's <laughs> trying to explain it to some people is really frustrating and some people think it doesn't exist as well so it's it's a tricky thing any kind of like mental kind of issues or illnesses I think for some people it's super hard to grasp um but I feel like I've learned yeah. a lot about myself in these last two years and how to manage um the kind of problems uh but yeah it's it's been an enlightening <laughs> couple of years <laughs> stressful stressful and enlightening Stressful and enlightening. Well, yeah, hopefully a lot of good sort of keeps coming out of it moving forward. Mm, I hope so, too. When you have so much going on and so many things you could potentially focus on, how do you decide what to channel your energy into with video making or with structuring a team or with kind of any project you do? Um, I feel like I don't decide, which is part of the (laughs) issue, is that there are logical decisions I should make for like, right, I need to complete this by this date. I need to complete this by this date. And I'll try mm-hmm. and make a plan and make a list and be like, need to do this, this. Then I forget I've made a list. I forget to look at the plan, to reference it. And then I just end up doing what my brain finds interesting <laughs> on that day, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's so important that I've got the, the people around me that will either do it for me, help me do it, or tell me, oi, hurry up and do this. So... Mm-hmm. Um, it's tricky. Like I, I don't feel like I have control of what I focus on. So mm-hmm. um, I just tend to say yes to everything and then try and fit it all in. Um, but at the moment, I'm focusing mainly on completing video projects at the moment because mm-hmm. um, I've got a few deliverables that I have a deadline for. So <laughs> a little bit of anxiety there and that's keeping me focused on <laughs> getting those things done. Yeah. Do you feel like that does sometimes help you hyper-focus in a way that serves you as a writer and a coach and all these roles that you take on? Yeah, uh, I kind of need it. Um, I feel like at the moment, because uh, I've not started treatment for anything, but uh, the only way I can get things done is if I'm stressed about it, which is kind of horrible that you need to be in a state <laughs> of stress to get anything done. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it is the only way I can kind of uh, generate the motivation because I think it like triggers adrenaline, which is the thing I use to run. Like it's what I run on kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is healthy in the long run. But um, yeah, it's it's a tool, but it's not the tool I want to use, if that makes sense. Like I feel like I'm Mm -hmm. using a big massive hammer when I really should be using like a nice little precision screwdriver or something like that. Yeah. It seems like when you do start getting treatment for that, that's one thing you'll probably work on, like just getting better tools and kind of healthier habits that make it less easy for things to fall through the cracks. Hopefully. Exactly. Yeah. Well, th- th- this is actually my goal because I, d- I don't want to be like on medication or anything for the rest of my life, uh, but mm-hmm. I know the solution to a lot of the issues I have is having structures in place like mental structures so that you can build routines um so that you can just complete your tasks but like Mm -hmm. i think like regular things that people do like say 
like I just had to redo the, the list I have in the evening, which is in the evening, I have to make sure I complete all the things before I go to bed. And if I don't have it, I don't do any of them. So I've got a list that says lock the door, put the mm -hmm. dishes in the dishwasher, to like lock the cat flap, brush your teeth. And like, if I don't, and it has to be on the wall, so I see it. And if I don't see it, I don't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, I, do, I feel like, being able to kind of build up a routine so I don't need a list. I just remember because it's a routine, but I try and yeah. build a, a routine, but I'll maybe get four days in and then I'll forget. Mm -hmm. And like to make things routine, it needs to be consistent. You have to do it every day and you have to do it for like some people say 30 days, some people say 60 days and I'm forgetting mm -hmm. in day five and it's, it's so hard to build routine. So I'm hoping the medication allows me to keep focus, build my routines, build the structures and build the habits. And then once I have them in place and it's like you've, you've solidified those structures in your brain, uh, then mm -hmm. you can ideally not need to take the, the medication. So my uh, kind of goal is to use medication as a tool to build the structures that I'm missing. And then mm -hmm. hopefully I'll be uh, closer to, was it neurotypical? That's the yeah. goal. That's amazing. That sounds like you're approaching it with just such a like healthy approach. It seems like it can only go in a positive direction from here. Yeah, I try and break things down logically. It's kind of what I do with like the skilled videos and coaching. I feel like I can make a good plan, um, but mm -hmm. I struggle to execute. That's the tough part. And then, part. so it's kind of setting yourself up with the whole team for this year. Did you have people around you where you could make a plan and they could execute? So it seems like that would be a great way to have it set up. So, yes, we did that a little bit more this year where uh, Thibaut, the racer we had, a uh, French mm -hmm. elite racer in the first year, um, mm -hmm. he became more of an assistant manager. And actually, to be fair, he did most of the work in terms of organizing this year. He did a really good job. Um, just keeping everyone on point, booking the accommodations, planning where we're going and keeping everyone on the same page, which was mm -hmm. so good. It really took a big stressor off um, for me. And uh, that was really important. And uh, yeah, the, the media guys uh, were way more um, organized and kind of structured in terms of like making the content of the world cups because i'd only get like little time windows at the world cups where i could nip off present mm -hmm. stuff to camera tell them kind of what i wanted them to film and then they go and do it and they got that down to clockwork so the guys uh, at sleeper co who were doing all the world cup content for us were so good at that um and there was a guy that they had in doing like the trackside videos called benoit and he he got used to how to manage me because like every world cup we do the same things on the same day but i'd always forget and i'd be like yo dude what time is it when do we do this what video are we doing today and he'd just be like no we're doing this here you are you need to be here this is what we're talking about i'm like oh thanks man <laughs> get it get it started um but i'd always turn up and i'd still be writing the script as i'm sat in front of the camera like <laughs> trying to trying to get everything ready and he's like why don't you write them before the race and it's like yeah that'd be nice but it's not happening 
So actually, how did the media side of things affect the whole team? And like, how did you balance being a successful team with also documenting it? So I think it is quite a tricky thing to do, but I think these days it's kind of necessary. I think nearly every team is also a media team um, Mm -hmm. because everyone's putting out social media content, everyone's putting out team videos. And if you're not good at it, you have to just be winning World Cups every week Um, because that that is what matters. You're either winning races or you're making some real good photo and video uh, content. So it, it is a tricky thing, and it was something that, as a team, we were really wanting to try and teach the riders. Like, not only were we wanting to teach them how to be really good racers, improve their skills, improve their racecraft, but it's showing them how to be a modern athlete, which, for better or worse, is also being a content creator. Um, like, a lot of people get derided for being just content creators, but it, it is such a hard thing to do and do well and a lot of racers just they aren't very good at it and it it really hurts their careers i think because they're only as good as their last race where a lot of racers who are really good at um portraying themselves well like really sharing their personality and sharing the kind of things that they're going through i think have so much value and uh it's also super interesting to follow like it's a it's a really tricky thing to find a balance so the off season is all about the the training the the work the graft getting yourself in good physical condition and then in the summer that although the hard work's been done you can race but then the hard work in the summer is often figuring out what content you're going to make what you're going to promote your sponsors and it's like <laughs> how are you going to keep everyone updated on kind of what's going on it's it's actually it's a full-on job like if you were to add up the amount of hours a racer, like a racer that's good at social media and making videos, spends on just doing like video content and stuff like that, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't even guess, but I would say the ones that are doing it a lot, it's like 20 hours a week for sure. Yeah, wow. Which is half a full time job and you're racing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's, yeah. It, it, it's it's a tough thing to balance, and I think we struck a pretty good balance um, of doing both. But I mm-hmm. always feel like you can do better. Like I'm always like, oh yeah, we could have done better at that, or like, oh man, like oh, we could have got like Amy could have got a win if we just like focused on that a bit more instead of doing videos, <laughs> and then oh that video could have had a little bit better context if we'd thought to film this thing, and yeah. There's always more you can do, but I think we had a good balance. Yeah, that's awesome. And there's always more we can do in every area of life. So seems okay. Mm. What are you kind of most proud of from how this whole year went? Oh, interesting. Huh. Now, I've personally been quite negative looking back in my year. So actually thinking about the most positive thing, a bit of a struggle, actually. What's the <laughs> most positive thing? Because there, de- there are definitely positive things. Like it was super cool seeing after Wyatt's struggles all year, finally get that top 10 as the mm-hmm. last race was so sick. That's awesome. Um, we were just all desperate for him to figure it out. And it was rad. I was really happy with that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then Amy getting her podium at the start of the year when uh, she was unsure if she was going to be able to kind of go at the same speed she was the prior season after a concussion was also amazing. It made me tear up again. Um, oh, and personally, like what? I really enjoyed, but just like Lenzer Heidi first race at the start of the year, just riding my bike and feeling quite strong mm-hmm. and like feeling feeling fast, which is the first time I'd really felt that in a long time. Oh wow! So actually, my my season probably peaked <laughs> the first round. <laughs> um, so that was really cool. And actually, you know what? How the series is done, how the Pink Bike Racing documentary is done, like the episodes that have come out this year, I think mm-hmm. each episode is already bettered what we did in terms of reception in terms of views and everything from last year and harry the guy uh, the director the filmer the everything he's like the the kind of the main the guy for the series did such a good job he like managed to, to distill so many hours so many hours of footage into these cohesive really engaging and like emotionally satisfying episodes, which I'm super happy with. Like, if like it's something I can look back on and be really proud that that all came from me deciding we're going to make videos and start a race team. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's a good one. Pro- I'm yeah, proud of seriously. how the series has, uh, has turned out. Yeah, from the outside, it looks pretty awesome. What about for you personally? What are your strengths as a rider? I guess also as a rider, racer, coach, manager, hmm. kind of all of it. I think I'm really good at figuring things out. Like when it comes to like figuring out where I'm weaker or say slower on a racetrack or something like that. I, I think I'm really good at not only figuring out like logically what to do, but I also I think I've got quite a good feel for what can be done faster and what lines are going to work better and yeah just trying to like solve the puzzle i feel like Mm -hmm. i'm quite good at that um and then executing it (laughs) on a race run i've never found a consistent way to be able to consistently do it so i'd say that is definitely the missing ingredient but in terms of yeah solving the kind of track i'd say that's something I really enjoy and I'm really good at. Yeah, you show it in your videos. Like I think all of them are really informative for just helping people like me who have not been down World Cup tracks understand just what it is, what it means. So that's been really cool. Mm. What are your weaknesses? Uh, never being satisfied, I guess, which is a kind of a weakness and pro- kind of also a positive in that I'm never fully happy with a a video like if i could i would just Mm -hmm. spend years working on the same one just trying to get it perfect i'm always so frustrated when i have to deliver a video i'm like it's not done it needs more Mm -hmm. time it needs this it needs that um and i find that really frustrating um and i guess that's a weakness like just i i waste too much time sometimes doing things that maybe aren't necessary um yeah i'd say that's a weakness in in the video production side of things um and then in terms of 
like as a racer and rider, my weakness, it would be the consistency thing that I struggle with being consistent in like training, being consistent in, uh, well, mainly just like training, <laughs> just being consistent mm-hmm. with it. Like I'll get like super fit and then I'll like, something will affect me and I'll, or I'll maybe have another project I need to do. My focus will be shifted and then suddenly my routine's gone out the window and yeah, I just that don't feel so strong. familiar because I do the don't same feel thing. like fluid on my bike. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's so annoying. But then I think a lot of people get that. So that is a sure. common thing. Yeah. Now that we are kind of in the off season, what does training look like for you? Uh, so at the minute, and not doing very much it's honestly like after the last race getting home and working on video projects like the coaching series and also kind of been right in the middle of getting my diagnosis and getting things figured out and we moved house and been quite a lot of stressful things going on i've genuinely not really ridden a bike much um other than writing and video projects i do feel like i'm in a pretty big not a hole but a bit of a lull at the moment uh, like i want to get this diagnosis get treatment and then i feel i'm hoping and i don't know if i'm putting too much on it that i'll just be able to resume if that makes sense like i, I feel like i've got too many things i need to sort get them sorted mm-hmm. try treatment videos are done for the year focus on a new year and i'll yeah get back out on a bike because yeah I've not really ridden a bike in a while and in terms of next season um it'll it's in it's in the video and this is this is definitely coming out after the video but I'm not going to race world cups uh full season next year I may dip my toe in but I've decided to focus on my strengths which are I think is the video side of things the presenting and video production so in terms of training, I have no big plans this winter. I just hope to get back out on a bike when the time is available and just have fun with it. That actually sounds amazing. Like that sounds so much more mentally healthy to just like step back and let it not happen if you're not feeling it and then like come back at full strength mm-hmm. sometime if you're feeling it later. And like I think a lot of us will be mm. looking forward to seeing when you focus more on media. Like that sounds really ideal. What do you want your kind of lasting effects on the bike world to be? I don't know. Like, I feel like wanting to leave a mark is like, a, I don't know. It's just something that everyone kind of wants to do. You want to leave like an impact, um, which seems so selfish <laughs> thinking about it now. Um, so I guess the impact I'd want to make is that I've given people either knowledge or happiness and that the videos I've produced or the things I've done to try and help have improved their lives in some way. Cause I think it's, it's, it is cliched in that a lot of people say like, you have to try and leave the world better than when you left it. And I think it's really hard to do that <laughs> given how much impact a human has on the planet, <laughs> the negative way. Uh, but yeah, I hope that I've just positively affected uh, some people. And I, I'm guilty for trying to make everyone happy. And I realize that that isn't possible, but I'm not going to stop trying. <laughs> um, so yeah, I hope some people uh, 
are a net positive thanks to the things I've done. Yeah, I think that's definitely a pretty safe bet. Um, since you're someone who a lot of up and coming riders look to for advice, what's your best advice for people trying to make their way in the racing world right now? I think the racing world is changing a little bit at the moment. It's uh, a, it's getting a little bit more focused, I would say. And I would say like World Cups in particular are definitely kind of becoming more focused on just the higher end. So I think a lot of people, young racers, can maybe focus too quickly on the high end. Like it's like, yeah, I just want to race World Cups immediately when really what you should think about is enjoying your riding, racing locally and just being passionate about it and what will happen is if you are passionate if you do train if you do work on your skills and you work your way up through the races you will just naturally progress to where you want to get to um it's not everyone can do it it's it's a fact uh, just thanks to either your genetics thanks to the things you happen to do and try when you were growing up that has given you like a skill and knowledge base that you can then lend to mountain biking are all these things that you can't really think about. They just sort of, uh, it's just a product of your environment a lot of the time. So as soon as you know what you want to do, find the passion, enjoy it, have fun with it, go to races, but don't, maybe think too much about the kind of final destination have it as a goal but it's not all about getting all the way to the top even though it would be nice so yeah anyone anyone i know that has done really well in biking has just loved it from the get-go so don't stress too much about the end goal just enjoy what you're doing ride bikes have fun go fast I love it. That's honestly pretty good life advice for pretty much any of us. I think we're at the end of the questions I wanted to ask, but is there anything else you want the world to know about you? Um, yeah, there's actually there's something I've been meaning to get off my chest a little bit to do with the whole ADHD thing is that there's a lot of people that I have let down over the years by not replying to messages, by ghosting them, by abandoning projects because i've gotten distracted or lost focus and it's probably i don't know i just want to apologize to anyone that's listening and they're like yo i booked a coaching session with him seven years ago and I, he just never got back to me or he just goes to me and i just yeah i'm sorry i feel really bad about it and i've been let i can guarantee to you I, i'm actually talking about someone specific with that idea <laughs> is <laughs> i feel terrible about it and i and i apologize and uh, other than that, I'm trying to be better and I hope to improve and live up to everyone's expectations in the future, which might be seen as being a bit unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I, I have a goal of who I want to be and I'm hoping I can do that. And I hope uh, everyone can uh, benefit from that as well, if that makes sense. That's seriously so awesome. I'm stoked to hear that. And yeah, it sounds like that'll be great for you and for everyone around you. So I'm all for it. I hope so. Well, sweet. I think cool. that wraps it up. 
Thank you so much for talking today, Ben. And yeah, just thanks for everything you do to help us all understand the race world. It's awesome to see. So we appreciate it. Thank you very much for doing this good interview, Alicia. It's cool to see you out and back in the working world. Thank you. And we're back. Before we get to Music Corner this week, I mean, we should probably recognise that Levy has officially officially moved on. He was on a long-term hiatus. Long may it continue. Um, very sad to see him go. The reception to his podcast was wonderful. I thought it was super cool. Probably yeah. the most upvoted comment yeah. in podcast in back history. Yep. Um, comment gold this week does come from that podcast. There were some great ones on there. My favourite one was from um, a user... Can I say that name, Kaz? Is that naughty? Um, I think it's okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, not going to rule these days. Yeah, you can you can search. What's <laughs> 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 the rules? I don't know the rules. <laughs> just a SWAT team just going to drop through the ceiling. Yeah, no. Fuck. <laughs> okay, but they said this unnamed user. <laughs> Levy is going to GMBN. Dot dot dot. The trade for Quinny. Then Noodle with no steez said, you get Quinny and two first round draft picks for Levy. <laughs> and I thought that, well, it really made me laugh. That's a good one. <laughs> um, what is your music corner this week? My music corner is a older song. And this is going to be Papa Rosa Rolling Stone by The Temptations. So real old. I think it's 73 or four, maybe. I should look at the date of it. But this is the 11 minute 43 second cut. It's wow. super long. I'd heard the song obviously before, but then recently I was doing like a quiz night and they played it for the... You have to guess the music or whatever. I didn't know what it was. And then I listened later and it's really good. The baseline on it. So everyone should just listen to Temptations, Papa Rose, the Rolling Stone, Extended Cut. And it's sweet. As a musician, it's quite interesting. Cause I'm sure you know, we have all our songs that come in between three and four minutes. But yeah. that's a, recent, a relatively recent thing, right? Yeah, they're so short now. In the old yeah. days, I mean, they're like, they longer. Like, like Maggot Brain by Parliament or by Funkadelic is like, just goes forever. And some of the old, yeah, just, I don't know. It's kind of cool that the freedom must be really yeah. great. You know, there was a, I used to work at a radio, we'll make music corner a little longer, but I used to work at a ski shop and I knew a guy, there was a DJ and he would went towards the end of his shift. He wanted to go skiing real bad. And so what he would do is find a really long song and put it on. And I would see him on the ski slope, like pretty <laughs> like soon after, so like the Almond brothers have a song called mountain jam that I think is 35 minutes long. So he would just play mountain jam. <laughs> then he gets off his shift a half hour early. So he gets there. So I was like that. Shit, That's good. Yeah. That's I try and pad out articles with photos sometimes. Yeah. It's that, it's Similar sort of that. Yeah. When you, um, when you get the profile shot, because then you can run the text next to it and you need half uh, yeah. the amount of <laughs> like wrote more. Yeah. It's a good trick. Um, my suggestion is a song called civilian by a band called White Oak. Never really heard of them. Oh, they're good. Really beautiful the voice, song. The vocals, yeah. Yeah, really, really um, delicate, but deliberate. I, I think mm. it's just a, a great piece. I think it's from, I looked it on my YouTube, I think it came from The Walking Dead. Mm. That's what sort of big resurgence, right. but it's a really well-sorted song, and I just think they've done a great job. Not that what I, matters, what I think matters at all, but that's my yeah. no, that's a good little arty-farty bit for the week. Yeah. Um, and that's it. So we've got a lot coming in to round out the new year. Um, thank you very much for listening. And yeah, we'll catch you next time. And also, if you um if you see something really funny, in the, we want to really revive Comment Gold. Yeah. If you see something really funny, hashtag Comment Gold, tag me or Kaz, and then we'll actually make sure we see it because there was a lot of comments and we've only got, you know, yeah. limited yeah. amount of time. Yeah. And questions too. If there's any like reader questions or anything, mm. just stick them in the comments. We'll try yeah. to get to some of them. Totally. If you, can, if you can put it on the podcast and tag us, we can really make a concerted effort to get, to get some of this sorted, Kaz. There we go. We'll solve the world's problems <laughs> one podcast at a time. Sweet. Thanks, guys. And we'll catch you next time. 